In our journey chapels, we imagine ourselves journeying with the people of Israel from perhaps some other place in the nation, the country of Israel, or as we see at Pentecost, Jews came from far and wide to travel to Jerusalem during one of the festivals throughout the year. And we imagined in a village over here, two men leaving early in the morning with their packs, uh, perhaps a donkey. The kids had probably woken up. The roosters were crowing. There were chickens running around, and they leave from their village together. And over here on another end, uh, a group of people, two families maybe, set out together, traveling together, leaving as well in the early morning with their bread and their food and uh, any packs, anything that they need that they can take along the way, water so that they can stay hydrated. And they begin their journey maybe of several weeks and maybe only by foot to begin traveling to the festival together going up to Jerusalem. And at every place, at every uh, crossroads, more and more travelers join each other, and the group grows and swells, and people begin to travel in larger and larger groups to go up to Jerusalem. And along the way, they check in with each other. What's happened to your mother since last time we met? How is your, your daughter who was so ill? Uh, how's the cattle business? But they also talk about the Lord. They talk about their journeys with the Lord. They talk about the reason why they are going and traveling together, these songs of ascent, as they travel up to Jerusalem, the high point. Last time, we looked at the beginning of our journeys, and some of us have been on these journeys for more than 60 years, 70 years, or, or 40, or 35, and, and some of us are only just beginning. We're here at Tyndale as a newcomer, as a, a learning kind of pilgrim to find out what this journey is like, what this life is like as a follower uh, among these pilgrim people, these followers of God. Along the way on journeys, there are dangers. I liked the way that clip showed a fun time of activity interrupted by danger. It, it comes like that. You're traveling along, you're enjoying company, and suddenly there's danger. And you respond to danger. And for Israelites traveling on foot to Jerusalem, if they started from the plain, they were used to living on flat land and in the plains where you could see far and you knew the vegetation and you knew the animals. But the farther you went, the closer you came to Jerusalem, the more the territory became unfamiliar and there were dangers that you did not know how to face. And one of those dangers was mountains. Mountains. Imagine that you are a plain-dwelling person. You live in flat land where there's grass and, and green, and you live by water, perhaps even. And now you are coming, and you've seen it looming, and you're coming closer, and you're coming closer, and there they are, the mountains. And then the question that you ask is, where does my help come from? I lift up my eyes to the mountains which are huge and grand and imposing and hold all kinds of dangers of bandits 
and animals and sun that beats on me by day and moon that shines on me all night long. And I, I'm not quite sure where my help is going to come from as I face these unknown circumstances, these dangers that are ahead of me. Where does my help come from? Let's stand and together say interactively the words of Psalm 121. Remember that um, this time I didn't make it a call and answer, although I made it interactive, but that these would be travelers going along, and presumably someone with a loud voice would start it out, we are calling to one another, calling words of encouragement. And so imagine that I've come to the mountain ahead, and I'm a leader, and I see the mountains, we all see the mountains, we stop, and I say to you, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And you say, My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, Amen. You may be seated. Where does my help come? I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Does my help come from the mountains? Does my help come from the gods that reside in the mountains? Imagine that as they are traveling up, they are seeing shrines. Even in Israel or far away from Israel, definitely. But even in the prophets in the Old Testament, they rail against the Asherah poles and the altars, the, the things that are placed in the high places where people would come to worship because heights and grandeur inspire people to worship as they inspire fear. And so imagine that you would pass shrines and altars and the question that is facing you is where does my help come from? Imagine that this is the God of that mountain. This is a culture where there are gods allocated to mountains and streams and trees and animals and everything wild, the sun and the moon. And so the question is, what am I going to do as I travel along? Where does my help come from? Am I going to lay something on the altar of the mountain god to ensure me safe passage? Maybe, maybe I should just put a little something on it. You know, cover all my bases. Yes, yes, there's Yahweh as well, but if I just do this, I mean, who will really know? And what, what can it hurt if I pay something on the altar of the mountain god? Because that mountain pass looks pretty scary, and I want to cover all my bases to get through that. That experience ahead of me, this cancer that I'm facing, this broken relationship, this trouble in my life, it's unfamiliar territory. I don't know how to guarantee safe passage through this, this part of my journey. Therefore, maybe I'll just lay something on the altar of this God to ensure safe passage. Israel had real mountains on its journey, but we have mountains too that look imposing. 
We have our own songs of ascent. You know how easy it was to Google, Google images and find images of people climbing? And where are they climbing to? What are the ladders about? It's about money and success and safety and security. And now I'm going to break a rule of good preaching. One of the rules of good preaching is do not tell stories in which you show up as the hero. Well, if I'm a hero in this story, it's an inadvertent hero, but it's a real story, and I want to give you this kind of real example. My husband went to law school years ago, after we were married, actually. We moved from Calgary to um, Ottawa so he could go to law school. And there are some really attractive places and mountain peaks and plans that are laid before you if you go to law school, right? And nobody gives you a plan. It's not written out that this and this and this, thus and so you shall find success. But you kind of know it. The culture lays it out for you. This is the route that you go to find success, to be a somebody, to have power, prestige, not to mention lots of money. You can ask me about that. So the, the plan goes like this. Get good marks. Get, in fact, really, really good marks. Whatever it takes, get really, really good marks. You have to do really, really well on your LSAT first and then get into a good school and get good marks. And then you become the editor, the student editor of the Law Review, the journal at the school. Check. And then you graduate cum laude or magna or summa cum laude or magna cuma summa cum laude. I don't know. You can put them all together. Whatever it is, the top of the top, the check. And then you land an articling job with a, a, a Bay Street law firm, okay? You want to get into the big city, Toronto, if, if you're in Ontario, or Vancouver, if that's where you are. You want to get into the big city, one of the big, big firms on Bay Street. That's what it's called here. And so check, you get that one. And then you want to, you, you, you do everything it takes in that articling job to do your very best and get noticed so that when the articling position is finished, you land a job in the law firm. Check! And then you know what? I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> that was enthusiasm. And then you know what? You are done. You, you've made it. You've gotten to the top of the heap. Now, mind you, there are a lot of offerings you have to make along the way to the God that will guarantee your success on this route. You have to lay down your marriage because really that's going to be secondary. It's probably not going to survive the first number of years of working at this law firm. And maybe eventually, though, you'll be, you'll be a partner and then you'll have lots of money. And you have to lay down your family, really, not just your marriage, but your children, because basically you're not going to see them at all. And so they're a peripheral part of your life, and you're thinking, yeah, well, in 15 years when I'm a partner, I'll be able to enjoy them. And so you live for that. But by that time, what kind of relationship do you really have with them? And so there's all kinds of sacrifices that you are called to make culturally on the altar of this mountain god in our culture. And um, here's, here's the hero part, but honestly, 
My husband was the only one out of the 19 articling students who did not put his name forward to be hired back at the big Bay Street law firm. And I don't feel like a hero about that. It wasn't even a hard decision. We could see the route laid out for us, and we knew that these were not our values. We're, we're not going to lay everything down for the sake of this, this mountain of money that we could make, or the power, or the prestige. That's not what it's about. It was an easy decision to make because we were pilgrims on the journey in which it is God's face that we are seeking. Where does your help come from? It's a matter of the heart. And at some point, we stepped off of that plan. We knew that we couldn't preserve our hearts on that road, on that plan. And, and there are people who can, but they need a lot of prayer and support to keep their hearts clean when you engage in laying down sacrifices on the altar of that mountain god. John Calvin said about this psalm that it speaks about all of us who disregarding God, gaze to a distance all around us and make long and devious circuits in quest of remedies to our troubles. As you travel along, where does your help come from? What is going to rescue you from your present or future trouble? Let's say you are distressed and you can't sleep and you're lying in bed at night and you're rehearsing for yourself the things that will give you comfort. And what does that rest in? What does your comfort rest in? Your abilities? Well, at least I can do this. Your youth? Well, at least I still have lots of options. Your accomplishments? Your health? I can do anything. I can do it. Your career options? your relationships, the things you do for God that you secretly are, know are getting you gold stars and God's going to come through for you because he's, gonna, he's seen how much you've done for him. Where does your help come from? If these things were suddenly taken from you, what would you have? If you were unable to do any of them, if someone smeared your reputation, or if the bottom dropped out of your, your career options or your future plans, or if you were debilitated and had to lie on your back and do nothing, where does your help come from? You know, sometimes it's not our weaknesses that trip us up. It's our very strengths. It's the things that we're good at, the abilities that God has given us that First, we offer them to him, and we see ourselves using them for him, but, but eventually they slip, and they become an idol in themselves. And then what we're relying on eventually is not God or the God who has gifted us, but what we begin to rely on is our very strengths. Our gifts become the things that replace God on the throne. Where does your help come from? Israel's answer was, my help comes from the Lord. Why? Because he's the maker of heaven and earth. Meaning, when I look at the mountains and I see how huge and how grand and how imposing they are, 
what I stand back and remember is that I serve, we serve, we follow a God who created the heavens and the earth. That anything that is here is only by his strength and power. And that even those mountains are nothing compared to the one who created them. And that's the Lord. He made the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. The things, the images that other people so easily bow down to are all just pointers to the God who made them all. And so these words of the psalm, can you say those with assurance? Where does your help come from? My help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. My security doesn't come from the stockpile of stuff that I have. It comes from the God who owns it all. My security is not in what I do. It's in the God who made me. It's in how he wants to lead me to use the gifts and the skills that he's given me. My help is not in however much I can control. It comes from the one who holds the whole world in his hands, who leads my life too. And only when verse 2 is the confession, and we need to stop ourselves sometime and remember it when we're facing the valleys and this, the scary places, something like Psalm 23. Only when the conviction is, when we take a bigger view and we know that it is the Lord who made the heavens and the earth who gives us our help, does the rest of the psalm make sense. That no matter where we go or what we do or find ourselves in, it's the God who stands above us and yet is within us. He is the God who will walk us through whatever comes our way. It's getting the right perspective at the outset that steadies us to see God's provision, God's care all along the way. The psalm says that our life is safe with God. My life is safe with God. And several times what it mentions is that God is our keeper. It's the same word in the Hebrew, watching over you. He keeps you. He keeps you. He keeps you safe. He keeps you. And it struck me as I was reflecting on this that it, keeper is not a word that we use a lot, but you, you hear it if you watch Soccer or football, really? British, right? Right? All right. <laughs> the keeper is who? The goalie. The goalie, the keeper, is the one who keeps the goal safe, who does everything that it takes to keep the balls out so that nothing will take down the team that the keeper belongs to. The Lord is your keeper. He is the watcher over you. He, he says to you when you're lying awake at night, he says to you, son or daughter, look, there's no point in both of us staying awake tonight. I'm going to be awake anyway, so why don't you just go to sleep? Why don't you go to sleep because I don't slumber or sleep and I am not forgetting about you and I'm not going off duty and I'm not going to nod off and take a little nap. I am the keeper of your life. I am the one who guards you. And God's promise is that no matter what happens, nothing can separate us from his love. 
and that he can turn all things to good for those who love him, all things. This reminds me so much of these words from Romans 8, where Paul, echoing the same kind of sentiment, says, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Sisters and brothers, pilgrims on the journey, let's say this together. I will read the first part. We lift up our eyes to the mountains. Where does our help come from? Let me lead you in prayer, and the worship team will come forward. Dear God, thank you that you inspired people thousands of years ago to be pilgrims on a journey, and that we get to join them in being followers of you, that you have called us, too, into relationship with you, that you call us to be a people who know your name and carry your name, and who follow after you. We thank you for Jesus, by whom it is possible that we can draw near to you and know you intimately. Thank you that you are the creator of all things and that there's nothing that we will encounter on our journeys that you do not know or that you are unprepared for. Thank you that we can sleep because you do not sleep and build in us the strength and courage day by day and night by night and step by step to follow after you and to know that we are never alone. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.